Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. The PowerPlace exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, to empower you with His Spirit and His Word so that you can engage your world. Here at the PowerPlace, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. And our prayer is that as you listen, the absolute truth of God's Word would bring complete freedom to every area of your life. Good morning. I am so excited for this. Happy Mother's Day, first of all, to all of you moms. If you're a mother in the room, will you just stand so we can honor you? Can we just give it up to all of our moms in the room today? Yeah. Yeah. Honor is actually a core value here at the Power Place. We believe honor up, honor down, honor all around. So we just want to say we love you moms. We honor you. We know you wear many hats, have many jobs, have probably cried many tears, have prayed many prayers over your children, and we love you. And we also just want to say that I know today can be also a hard day for some of you. Uh, Maybe your mom's no longer here, or maybe uh, you don't have a good relationship with your mom. Maybe you're longing to be a mom, or you've experienced child loss. Uh, So we just want to say that God sees you today, and He loves you, and we just as a church wrap our arms around you today. Um, I've only been a mom, actually, for 11 years. My daughter will be 11 uh, this week, actually, and it has been a wild ride. And all my moms can say amen. It's definitely been a wild ride. There's definitely been, you know, some moments that you're not proud of. One for me was actually when my wooden spoon fell out of my diaper bag in the hallway of our church. That was really fun in front of everyone as a lovely man went and scooped it up for me and said, is this yours? That was fun. I was just going to do some light cooking later. And um, it's just fun, you know, being a mom. You know, you, you think you have it all together until you see your toddler licking the floor of the Christiana Mall. Good times. Good times. It's great. But the power place exists to help you encounter his presence daily, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so you can engage with your world. And we believe the, cover, uh, the Bible from cover to cover. We don't leave anything out. And we believe in these last days, God is pouring out his spirit like never before. And we will see miracles and signs and wonders like never before. John 14, 12 says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the work I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So today we're gonna talk strategy for victory and freedom. And I know that today is mom's day, but this strategy today is for everyone. Man, woman, man, woman too, yeah, got it. Man, woman, young, old. If you're in the room today, this strategy is for you. And here's the strategy. The strategy is surrender, fight, and win. So would you just lift your hands all over this room and we can just dedicate this day to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your truth. I pray that we would have hearts to receive and ears to hear from you today, Lord. We declare that no spirit can be in this church but the Holy Spirit. Any other spirit in this room, you must bow or you must go. And I thank you, Father. I thank you for for your word. And I pray right now over your people that you give us a hunger for your word. You give us a hunger for truth a hunger for righteousness, a hunger for your justice, and a hunger for you, Lord. And we love you, and we dedicate this day to you in your name. Amen. So I brought a picture of my kids with me today. 
they're cute. They look like their dad, I know. So our oldest is London. She's going to be 11 this week. And she's, I don't know, uh, first child syndrome. She's the leader. She came out the second mom. She mothers the kids. She's just a natural leader. She's sweet and she's sensitive, but she's also like bold and like kind of puts Isaiah to to shame sometimes with like how much like she loves Jesus and knows her word. And she just has like a spiritual authority about her. That's insane. But she's the leader. Our next is Roman, who we lovingly call Memon Hahi because he couldn't say his name when he was little. We would say, what's your name? Instead of Roman Hollis, he would say Memon Hahi. So we still to this day, you'll hear us around this church be like, Memon. And he answers to us. Uh, his first word was dada, but his second word was vroom vroom. And that basically sums up Roman in a nutshell. He, um, went away. he loves anything with motors. Uh, all he wants to do, we have a permanent dirt track going around our house from his dirt bike that he just rides over and over and over again. He's wild. He's crazy. He's just, he's, he's a boy's boy. I'll put it that way. And then there's Sloan. <laughs> Sloan, Sloan, Sloan. Sloan's my wild card child. I don't know. I'm the third kid, and I'm not like the third. The third kid, anyone else throw you for a little loop? That Okay, all right, all right. I am the third child, so I don't really know, but she's, she's sweet, but she's sassy. She's wild, but then she can be quiet. She's, she's just all over, the, she's all over the board, but she was a great completion to our family, I'll say. I'll give you a little backstory um, on me. Um, Isaiah and I, we met when we were 17, and um, it was love at first sight for me, not for him. And um, we became best friends. We dated for a while, and then we were married in our 20s. And then after we got married, we decided, okay, it's time to you know, try for a baby. And I'll condense the story and make it quick, but I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS for short, and it's basically the number one cause of infertility in women. And so when I got that diagnosis, you know, we had two choice. like, what do we do with this? Like, I was the kind of girl that when you're filling out the papers as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a mom. 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 So then when you're faced with this diagnosis of, you know, I remember the doctor looking at us and say, it's very, it's probably not going to have, like, your case of PCOS, looking at you when I had my ultrasound, it's very impossible that you're ever going to be able to carry a child. So they said, you have so many cysts and so much going on that what we're going to do is we're going to schedule you for a surgery and you can come in next week and we'll do this surgery called a DNC where we're going to go in and we're going to clean out all the cysts and clean everything out and we'll just kind of start fresh. And so Isaiah and I said, okay. But we went home and we said, God, we know what your word says. Like we know what the doctors are saying but we're gonna choose to just believe you. We're, we're not gonna look at the facts and, and make that our truth. Your word is the truth, and that's what's supreme, and we're just gonna believe you for a baby. That's it. We don't care what it looks like. We don't care what the doctor's saying. We're just gonna believe you for a baby. And so I scheduled my surgery for the next week, but that week, I had a nudge in my Holy Spirit to take a test, to take a pregnancy test, which I'd never done before because I couldn't have a baby. And so I'm like, Lord, is this you? Is this me? And so I took a test, and it was positive. I was pregnant. And guess what? God did that. No doctor did that. God did that. And so I scheduled an ultrasound. Yeah. And so I scheduled an ultrasound for the following week. And when I went in the following week, they found out that I was six weeks pregnant with London. So 
If I would have gone through with the DNC that was scheduled, I would have killed London. London would not be here today. And I know that sounds like, whoa, my word. But that's, that's the reality of it. That doctor didn't catch that there was life inside of me. There was life. It was overlooked, but there was life. And God did that. After London, we decided, okay, you know, let's have another baby. We'd have 10 if it was up to Isaiah. I'm just tell you right now. We'd, we'd be on number 15. But after we had London, we decided to um, try for another baby. And that year, we had two miscarriages. We had two miscarriages, six months apart. I had to go through the surgery and all that. But we just decided, even though we were experiencing loss, we had already seen God do the impossible. We watched God do the impossible in our lives and give us a baby. So we just believed for it again. And we had a prophetic word giving over us. And it was about this little baby. This woman had seen a vision of this little blonde baby boy. Um, and a year later, we delivered our son, Memenhahi. He came into this world. And it was cool because when I came into the church and I showed the lady Roman, she looked at him and she said, yep, that's him. It was the same baby that she saw in her vision. It was just this precious moment of watching God's promise unfold. And so you have two choices when you face trials. We had two choices, to run or to remain. And we chose to remain. And we chose also to keep God's word in our mind. Because if you leave your mind empty, the devil will fill it. And so it's really important that when you're going through trials that you keep your mind, even if you don't see with your natural eye what you wanna see, keep your mind full because the enemy will fill it. So I just wanna encourage you today you know, I told God when I first got diagnosed with infertility, I said, Lord, if you just give me one baby, I will never stop telling people what you did. I'll never stop sharing my testimony. And so that's why I'm up here today sharing this with you because I believe in testimony. You know, one of the root words of the word testimony is do it again. So when you share a testimony, when you hear a testimony, whatever it may be, if it's someone having a baby, someone getting healed, whatever it may be, God, through that testimony, God wants to do it again. And so I just encourage you today, hold on to that. Hold on to it. When, whatever you're longing for, as you hear others' testimony say, God is no respecter of persons and what he did for them, he's gonna do for me. Amen. And listen, I'm no one special. If, if you would have known me 10, 15 years ago, I had such an, there was such a demonic attack coming against my life. I was full of fear. I was full of worry, doubt. I was anxious. There were days where I was so depressed that I couldn't get out of bed. I would cry myself to sleep. And it was a demonic attack that came against my life and I was very intimidated. But I'm here to tell you that God set me free. I stand before you completely, 100% free. And if God did it for me, he will do it for you. Here's the thing, it all comes down to one thing, and that's surrender. And surrender is part of this strategy. See, you were, you were created to serve God. You were created to house God's authority. And that comes through submission. See, there's an issue in our culture. It's this, um, in our modern day culture, it's this me, 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 me. It's kind of like this, this self-centered spirit, you know, um, 
what I can give, what I can do, uh, my job, my career, my kids. When I come into church, the wor- Pastor Landon better be a good set. That worship song just needs to right here, right here. And when the pastor is speaking, I just, it needs to it needs to touch me and it needs to affect me. You know, it's all about me, 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 me. How about my body, my choice, right? See, that would work, but my Bible tells me that mine and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in all actuality, my body is not my body. My body is his house, his house, his rules. So we are not our own. And when you get the revelation of that, it changes everything. When you get the revelation that you're not your own, everything you have is his. Your mind is his. Everything is his. It's then that you can begin to live in true freedom and victory. Bottom line is, I am not mine, I'm yours. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And in Matthew, we see that you cannot serve two masters. So the first thing we need to do is surrender all fear of man and all pride. Because the moment you start serving man is the moment you stop serving God. You can't have two masters. You're gonna have to make a choice. In 2 Timothy, we see that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And let me tell you, fear is not a feeling. Fear is a spirit. It's a lying, tormenting spirit. And fear and faith can't coexist. So my question today is, who is your life fully surrendered to? because it's either gonna be God or it's gonna be the world. You're either serving the kingdom of light or you're serving the kingdom of darkness. And it seems so backwards, right? You would think that if you surrendered your life fully to God, if you give yourself away, you would lose yourself. But it's the opposite in the supernatural. When you give yourself away, you gain. You trade it all. You trade fear for peace, worry for joy, natural thinking for supernatural thinking, weakness for strength. You trade your insecurities in for boldness and you gain power. Because here's how it goes. In the natural, it goes fight. And then if you surrender, you lose. But in the supernatural, it goes surrender, fight, win. Every single time. A life given to Jesus and fully surrendered to him will not guarantee you a trial-free life. I can tell you that right now. But what it will give you is a life full of freedom and full of victory. Pastor Greg says it all the time. As a child of God, if I live, I win. If I die, I win. Because as a child of God, when you're completely surrendered to him, you win no matter what because your God doesn't know how to lose. And some people aren't fully surrendered to him because they don't understand um, how life could have ended up this way. You know, there's a lot of hurt um, in us and the hurt just kind of can take over. But true surrender isn't, I understand, so I'm gonna surrender. It's, I'm gonna surrender even if I don't understand. You know, I shared with you a little bit about our miscarriages. We didn't understand. We didn't understand why. We still don't understand why, but we made a decision that nothing and no one would make us doubt God, what he says in his word and who he is. Because you can't be double-minded about those things. You have to be 
sure about the things of God. So we're gonna read from Genesis 22. Genesis 22, 22, excuse me. Abraham tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next day, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go and with the boy over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together to Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. And let me tell you this, there is obedience in your surrender. Obedience is another core value of the power place. Uh, we say that obedience is the key to life. And the obedience of Abraham was more important to God than anything else. Because while we were gifted with special gifts and talents and abilities, that is not what God wants or desires. He desires your heart. He desires your whole heart. And it's when we carry that posture of surrender that we open up our lives to a life of miracles and for God's glory to be known. So the cool thing about God is he's in the business of coming through at the last second, literally. There is a ram all of a sudden tangled up in a bush. That doesn't just happen. But God put that ram there. He put that ram there and he tangled it up. So that way when Abraham got to where God was calling him to go, there was his blessing already waiting for him as he was obeying what God called him to do. 
There is blessing on the other side of your obedience. And there needed to be a sacrifice that day, so God sent a ram. Sacrifice means the act of slaughtering an animal or a person or surrendering a possession as an offering to God. And when you sacrifice something, you're killing it. And that's why the Bible tells us to bring a sacrifice of praise to him. See, it's easy to praise God when things are going well, right? When he's blessed us and healed us and protected us. But what about when it's not going well? What about when you get that diagnosis? What about when your spouse hands you those divorce papers? What about when your child walks away from the Lord or there's no money in the bank? It's then that you bring your sacrifice of praise and you lay it down at God's altar and you believe that he is still good and can be trusted. When we choose to praise him in in spite of our trials and storms, he's honored and it actually grows our faith. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. So our praise to God isn't based on whether or whether or not we think, you know, our, our opinion of him, whether we think he's doing a good job or not. It's laying everything down on his altar, even when we don't understand Giving a sacrifice of praise to God is giving him something and praising him even before you see it. Even before you see what you're praising him for. See, when you sacrifice something, you have to kill it. So you have to kill your flesh. You have to kill your feelings. The way you perceive that situation has to die. The do- what, what, what you heard from the doctor has to die. What you, what you heard from somebody else has to die. The, your emotions, all of it has to die. And you offer it as a sacrifice to him. We're gonna flip over to... Exodus 17, starting in verse eight. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I find it very interesting that Moses was only winning with outstretched hands. And isn't it so fitting that when we praise, that's when we prevail, that our praise is actually our warfare, that our praise is our weapon. Because all the guys were fighting, but it's this that gave them the victory. And it matters who your friends are. It matters who's talking. It, It matters who's speaking into you. The power of the tongue. What kind of fruit? Are people speaking death into you? Are people speaking life into you? What kind of people do you have in your corner? Another part of surrender is forgiveness. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be a doormat and let people walk all over you. I'm all for boundaries and not allowing toxic people to control your life, but forgiveness isn't an option. It's actually commanded of us. And if you are holding on to unforgiveness today, I just wanna encourage you, let it go. Because when you hold on to things that God has asked you to let go of, you can't walk in complete freedom. And the goal here is complete freedom and victory. And we're not dealing with flesh and blood here. This is a spiritual battle. 
Unforgiveness is just another thing that the enemy can hang over your head and try to defeat you. So don't give him an inch. So we're gonna surrender first, and next we need to fight. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You have authority. You have authority, but some people have forgotten that they have the authority. It's time to fight. When you accept Jesus to become the Lord and King of your life, you then have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. You literally have the power that conquered death, hell, and the grave living on the inside of you. And it's greater than anything in this world. We were um, on vacation this past summer, and we were at Ocean City, Maryland at the beach, Isaiah and I and the three kids. And it was a hot July night and we were really hungry and really tired. And so we said, let's just stop and get dinner and find a place to sit and everything's gonna be great. Because if mommy doesn't get something to eat, something bad's gonna happen. So we stop and grab a cheesesteak and we're looking, the benches are packed, everything is packed. And we're looking for somewhere to sit and there's nowhere to sit and we're sweating and the kids are on the verge of melting down. So we start going down some of the sides. So you know how there's the boardwalk and then there's side streets. So we're like, all right, we'll just start walking down these side streets. So we walk down the one, nothing, packed. Walk down a second one, there's a wide open bench. We're like, favor, we're gonna sit right here. So we sit down and we start to eat and I'm getting the kids their food and I'm, I'm, I'm eating and I look over and London's eyes are like this. They're biggest saucers and she's staring straight ahead. I'm like, Linda, what's the matter? And she's like, mom, look. And 10 feet in front of us, the store that we were sitting in front of was a psychic. It's got like the neon letters like psychic and you can see her in there through the window. You know, she's doing her thing and she's all dressed and Lennon's like, do we move? And I'm like, I did not wait all night to eat this cheesesteak on this bench right now to move. I'm like, no, we're not moving. I said, Lennon, the power in us is greater than any power out here anyway. It doesn't matter. It's like whoever it is. We're staying and we're eating. So we're, we sit there and we're laughing and we're talking and we're hanging out and all of a sudden she comes out with this a big pot of water. Do you remember that? And she starts pouring it down her steps. She's looking at us and she's pouring it down her steps. And she goes back inside and gets another thing of water and she's looking at us and kind of pouring it down her steps. And I'm like, what is happening? So I jumped on my phone and I'm like, what does it mean when a psychic pours water down the steps? And I couldn't find anything except there was like this little blog post of someone who's like, mom was the psychic or whatever. And it was like, when a psychic comes out and begins to pour water down the steps, it feels that it, there are spirits around it that's being threatened by. It feels that there's a higher power around it. And it, it's, it's pouring the water down the steps is a, is a cleansing ritual. And they're trying to get rid of whatever spirit they feel around them that's overpowering them. And just our presence being there set confusion on the enemy's camp. Just as we didn't even have to say anything, but she felt something coming from us. And I pray that she felt the love of God. And I want to go back there next year and tell her about Jesus. I can't wait. But just our presence set confusion on the enemy's camp. And when you come against spirits, when you come against the demonic, you don't have to run. You show them who's boss. You, you, you show them who's in charge because there's only two options for them. The name of Jesus is stronger than any other name. So when you bring forth the name of Jesus, that spirit has to bow or they have to go. That's it. And here's the thing. 
some people want that authority. Like, yes, I want that power. I want that authority. But they don't even have authority over their kids. You don't even have authority or control over your children. And so I say to those people, how do you expect to have authority over the demonic when you don't even have it over your kids? Because here's the thing. God has given you your children to steward and to steward well. And our kids need us. They need us to teach them. They need us to teach them God's word and show them, that show them everything in his word, that his promises are yes and amen, that he's power, that he's given us his Holy Spirit. See, my mom growing up was not my best friend. My mom was my mom. There's four of us in my family. There's three girls and then a boy. And we had a lot of spankings to prove that my mom was not our best friend. But here's the thing. We weren't allowed to throw fits on the ground. We weren't allowed to yell at my mom. If I would have laid a finger on my mom, I would have flown from that side of the room to that side of the room. Let me just tell you right now, this woman wasn't messing around. But guess what? I grew up being able to see what loving discipline meant. And I was able to grow up and then have respect for adults and for authority. And my mom, my mom, she taught and trained me in that way. And now I'm just like her because my wooden spoon's falling out in the hallway out there and people are picking it up for me. Not my proudest moment. So we need to fight for our kids. We need to fight for our kids because the enemy wants your kids. And you might be sitting here saying, Brittany, I didn't have that. I didn't have a mom who did that for me. I didn't have anyone showing me. I didn't have a dad that did that for me. But I have really good news for you. Just because you didn't come from a healthy family doesn't mean a healthy family can't come from you. You can be the start. You can be the start. You can do this. You can do this. My parents were first-generation Christians. They had no one to show them. First-generation Christians. My mom got saved first, and then my dad shortly after that. They broke a lot of generational curses, stopped the enemy right in his tracks. And you see our fruit of a family, but you have no idea the fight that it took to get us here. It's a fight. My mom shouldn't even be alive today. She, uh, she was physically abused as a child, sexually abused as a teenager, and opened up a lot of gates to the demonic in her life. She took so many drugs trying to numb the pain that she shouldn't even be alive today. But she got a hold of God's word and she started to fight. She started to fight. And now she has the fruit of her family. I was just on the phone with her the other day. I'm like, mom, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just reading my prayer journal from 1996. <laughs> Who has a prayer journal from 1996? And, the, and I've let her like, I've been like, let me see your prayer journal. There are things written in her journals that at the time she wrote them down, she was seeing in the natural, the complete opposite. There were things about us kids that she had written down in that journal that were not happening. There was some rebellion going on. There was some, there was some stuff going on, but what God, the promises God showed her and that she wrote down and that she stood on, that's what she focused on. She prayed for us. She prayed for us, but she knew the promises of God. She knew the promises of God and not to look at the natural. So we run at our fight, amen? amen. And this is where our faith comes into play because 1 Timothy 6.12 says, we're fighting the good fight of faith. 
It's a fight, but you need faith because faith's the currency of the kingdom. That's how things work, is you release your faith. And a unique characteristic of the power place is we choose bold, untamed faith. We do not live by what we see or what we feel. Uh, In 1 Samuel 17, we're just gonna talk real quick about my boy David here. So summarize the story real quick. You have the Israelite camp and you have the Philistine camp. Israelite are God's people. Philistines are the sorry people. And there's a giant coming out of the Philistine camp by the name of Goliath and he's coming out and he's taunting the Israelites and just putting them down. And this, this guy's a hot mess, but he's huge, big guy. So David comes, this boy, he's coming to deliver lunch to his brothers at the Israelite camp. And he sees this giant mocking God's people. And he's like, who's this? And they're like, that's Goliath. He wants to fight one of us. You know, all the Israelites were terrified. And David's like, I got it. Let me at him. So we're going to pick up here in verse 32. Saul, who the king is now talking to David. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this, this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and let the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened, his, um, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little, a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with the sword and the spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All these gathered here will know that it is not by a sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is Lord is the Lord's and he will give it all of you and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And let me tell you something. God will fight for you. He will. 
but sometimes we need to show that giant who's boss. We need to get a little spirit of David and say, do you not know who I am? Do you not know whose name I come in? Isaiah 49, 25 says, I will contend with those who contend with you. And every time I, I had to share this, because every time I read this scripture, I will contend with those who contend with you, I think of my big sister, La. Y'all know her as La Smack. She led worship up here beautifully. Can you just give it up for the worship team, by the way, today? Wow. Wow. I was bullied really bad in school. These guns weren't doing it for me. I, fifth and sixth grade were pretty rough. They were judgy. It was pretty judgy. And um, I was just, the girls were just relentless. And I was short and a people pleaser. And I just wanted people to like me. And I was just an easy target. You know, I was one of those kids. And so the girls, it was just awful. So I would come home crying where I'm in sixth grade now. And I would come home and cry. And I wouldn't tell my mom because I didn't want the girls to get in trouble because I'm a people pleaser. And then the circle just, it's awful. So I'm sitting there doing my homework and I have tears running down my face and my sister's doing her homework and I look up and she's looking at me and she took her pencil and she slammed it down on the table and she said, are those girls still messing with you? I was like, yeah. But don't do, Lauren, don't do anything, don't do anything. And she was like, yeah, okay. So they're not gonna mess with you anymore after tomorrow. And I was like, I was like, oh, my sister's don't go and go to jail. My sister's going to jail. I'm never going to see my sister again. She's going to kill these girls. I'm like, Lauren, no, 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 no. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. And the whisper is what got me. They're not going to mess with you after tomorrow. I was like, oh, my word. My whole family's going to jail. I'm going to have to leave my school. So the next day, I'm sitting in home room, and when the bell rang, you could still be talking, but you had to be in your seat. So the bell rang, and all the seats are full, and there's three empty seats. It's the girls that were messing with me. And I'm like, Lauren's out back of the school. She's burying these bodies. The cops are on their way. There's a detective's gonna walk in that, in that door. I'm in so much trouble. And a couple minutes goes by and the girls trickle in the room. And they walk in the room and their heads are down. Their faces are pretty white, like they've seen a ghost. Some of them had looked like they'd been crying and they walked over to me and they said, hey, uh, Brittany? I'm like, yeah. They're like, we just want to tell you that um, we're really sorry that we've been messing with you and uh, we just saw your sister in the bathroom and um, she cornered us in the bathroom and we're really scared and we really don't want your sister to um, like beat us up or anything and she told us that if we say anything to you or look at you wrong that she's going to come find us and um, we just want to tell you we're really sorry and we're never going to mess with you again. And guess what? It leads me back to this verse. I will contend with those who contend with you. Because I can tell you right now, those girls never mess with me again. And later in the year, we actually became friends. I actually became friends with those girls and we laughed about it later. But when there's giants in your promised land, you've got a God that's bigger and stronger and behind you just waiting for you to step up and tell that giant where to go. You have to tell that giant what you're gonna do to it. And too many Christians are talking a big game, but we're not walking it out. And so we need to quit threatening the enemy and we need to pick up our sword and we need to get the job done. Your breakthrough will begin when you stop being impressed by the size of your problem. When the size of your God is bigger than the size of your problem, it's when you start to walk in freedom and when your breakthrough is gonna begin. And this is why I share the testimony of my children. This is why I share my testimony of what God did to me. Because when I share 
what God did for me. It's like David when he held up the head of Goliath, like that head was gone. Every time I share my testimony, it's like I'm holding up the head, the severed head of infertility and miscarriage and saying, look what God did. Look what God did. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, but the power of God in me. And you just need to remind yourself when you're in these moments to remind yourself to remember the last thing that God did for you. That you might be in a trial right now and you'd be like, Brittany, you have no idea. Okay, whatever trial you're in right now, remember the last victory God won for you. Remember the last thing he did for you and hold on to it because you're gonna come out of this one. Because God doesn't know how to lose. If you're a child of God, you've already won. Hold on to the victories that he's already won one for you. And this is why the Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God, because there's going to be a fight. Ephesians 6.13 says, therefore put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a war and there's going to be opposition, but you are on the winning side. You will see victory every time because he doesn't know how to lose. It's time to get some boldness in our hearts and our minds And it's time that we know who we are, that we know whose we are. Hosea says, uh, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. So we need to know. We need to know our word. We need to know that the enemy is a liar and he's come only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's out to do. And here's the thing. He hates God. And you are created in the image of God. So he hates you. So we need to stop looking at him like this little devil on the side of our shoulder and start looking at him like the lying snake he actually is. And the Bible says that he's under your feet and that's where we need to keep him. That's where we need to keep him. Here's the thing though, even Satan knows he has knowledge. You can know, you can have knowledge and still be powerless. You have to know and allow it to get to your heart and then you speak out with power. And this is why it's so important. This is why we talk about all the time being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. You don't have to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is power. It edifies your spirit, man, and it gives you a supernatural boldness. And my favorite example of this is Peter. Peter, pre-being baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, was full of fear. Deny Jesus three times. You know Jesus? No. No, no, he was terrified. Peter, after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was a crowd of people coming against the apostles and Peter was the first one to jump up and to address the crowd. It gave him a supernatural boldness about him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he gives you a supernatural boldness. It surpasses all anxiety. It surpasses all fear. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So we need to know our word because that's how Jesus even fought the enemy. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. We need to know our word because our word is the truth. See, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is your truth, and the truth will set you free. And when you follow that, there's no way you can be bound. There's no way you can be bound. So you surrender first, next you fight, and then you walk in your victory. Deuteronomy 24 says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you and to fight for you 
against your enemies to give you the victory. First Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that David went alone. He didn't wait for anyone to tell him what to do. He didn't stop and ask for anyone's opinion. He went alone. He went alone. He had a life surrendered to God and just had faith and just trusted that God would do what he said he would do. See, it doesn't matter who stands with you or who stands against you. As long as you're in him, that's all that matters. John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. You need him. You need to be remained, like remain in him. It's time we fight and it's time we win. And do not let the passing of time, this gets so many of us, don't let the passing of time allow you to doubt the promises that God has for you. Do not let the enemy sneak in and say, oh, it didn't happen yet. Get a little Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spirit in you and say, my God can and my God will, but even if he doesn't. But even if he doesn't, I'm gonna love him. But even if he doesn't, I'm gonna trust him. But even if he doesn't, I'm gonna serve him because I would rather die with a heart full of hope than a mind tormented in fear. We're not gonna bow to fear. You can't be double, we, we can't be double-minded about that. And people say, you know, how could a loving God allow this? How could, a, you know, this is what happened to me. How could a loving God? Here's the thing. We were on our way to hell and God sacrificed his son so you and I didn't have to go there. That's not love. That's not love. I have one son. And if you were to tell me I had to send him to die the most excruciating, painful death for people, especially people that aren't gonna appreciate it, I'd be like, no, not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. And God did it for you and he did it for people who don't even appreciate what he did. When I give my kids something, one for you, one for you, one for you, if they don't appreciate it, take that back, take that back, take that back. You're glad I'm not God, but not God. He sent his son to die for you. He stopped Abraham from killing Isaac, but he didn't stop Jesus from dying for you. Do you understand how much he loves you? Do you understand how much he loves you? You will never look into the eyes of someone that God has not loved. He loves you. And yet people still choose to hate him. And yet people still choose to push him away. And they still choose to allow demonic agenda to attack their lives. And the enemy loves when we use hurt as an excuse. You know, I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. So I just walked away from God. Listen, if hurt, the, the first people out of here would be the pastors if we were going off our people hurting us. I mean, everyone's gonna get hurt, right? So to say you're walking away from God because of hurt is kind of like you getting food poisoning one time and then swearing you're never gonna eat again. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. He who finds offense when offense isn't intended is a fool. And he who finds offense when offense is intended is a greater fool. You can't allow the enemy in. You can't allow the enemy in and, and, and allow you to have the excuse of hurt. 
And I find that the problem with church today, the woke church, everything is wokeness now, right? We're woke, apparently. I don't know. I'm not cool enough to know any of this stuff. The woke churches, they've removed sin, they've removed repentance, they've removed hell, and they've removed conviction, all in the name of love and grace. And listen, I, I love love and grace. I, is God full of love? Absolutely. Does he have grace for you? You bet. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for God's grace. But what about his judgment? What about God's wrath? What about the fact that hell is just as real as heaven? And the Bible says that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're not gonna enter heaven. It's not too late to surrender your life to Christ today. It is not too late. You are not too far gone. You are not too dirty. It's not too late. And we wanna talk about the love of God, but we don't wanna talk about the holiness of God. See, he's both. He's not just love, he's holy. The Hebrew word for holy means set apart. So God's pure. He has no trace of evil in him. He is only good. So our sin demands a payment. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. See, the payment for sin is death. So God is holy, so we deserved death. But he's also love. So he sent his son to pay your debt. And he calls us to live a righteous life too. Leviticus 20 verse seven says, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. It's all throughout scripture, you know, God calling us to be righteous. So there's gonna be judgment for those who aren't. Matthew 12, 36 says, but I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account for your life. And I'm gonna stand before God one day and give an account for my life. And I can't stand on this stage and not tell you the truth. God wants his truth to prevail. And the truth is, is that we're not promised tomorrow. People are gonna miss out on heaven because they're not being told the truth because it's all grace and love. But if it's just grace and love, it's incomplete. It's time for the church to stand up and stand out to be the righteousness of God, to, to be set apart and to start doing what he's actually called us to do. And we slowly become numb you know, to the sinfulness around us. And that's how the enemy works. It's by no mistake that he is called a snake. And I'll show you, I'll show you where. In Acts 16, coming from the ESV version, this is Paul talking and he says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So Paul comes in contact with a, a demon-possessed girl. And the Bible actually says that she had the spirit of divination in her. Now, the word divination in the Greek means python. So she had a python spirit. And what I find interesting is this is so the enemy because the python is one of the only snakes that doesn't attack by bite, doesn't kill by bite. It kills by slowly coiling itself, slowly around its prey, coil, by coil, and then it begins to squeeze. And as it squeezes, it starts to squeeze the life out of its prey until uh, every last breath is out of its prey. And it's kind of funny how breath represents the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And that is exactly 
what the enemy is doing in the body of Christ today. He is trying to slowly coil his way around your life. See, he doesn't care if we have church, as long as there's no life here. He's, he's cool if we've got religion and rituals, as long as there's no power. And that's what he's slowly but surely doing. He, he gets to you by constantly, little by little, slowly but steadily squeezing the life out of us until we stop going to church and then we stop praying, and then you lose your anointing, and then it's over for you. There's a real battle taking place. There is a real battle taking place, and it's almost like the devil has disappeared, and no one wants to talk about him, and I'm here to tell you that he's real. He's not important, I can tell you that, but he's real, demons are real, the demonic is real, and there is a fight to be won. And this is so, it's so important who you align yourself with, what influences you allow in your life. You know, people say that the church should stay out of politics, but do you know what happens when the church stays out of politics? You get a Supreme Court justice who can't even identify what a woman is. But God's all about identity. You have people chanting women's rights and fighting for abortions all while those same abortions are murdering millions of baby girls that will turn into future women for the kingdom. That's what happens when we stay out of it. You have people indoctrinating your children in schools going directly against what God has said. And I will say today, if you speak up for racial injustice, but you don't speak up, you stay silent about abortion, you don't really care about justice. Because God cares about all justice. There's not this justice, that justice. He is a God of justice. And listen, you cannot call yourself a Christ follower and support and vote for those who support the murder of babies through abortion. Here's the thing, that's not my opinion, that's Bible. Because God is the author of life. He gives, he's the life giver. It's his design. He is the author of human life. I'd like to read you a story of a man named James. Now, James is not from here, he was born in Africa. And um, James's mother was told to abort him and praise God she didn't, and he has his story for us to read today. So I'm just gonna read you that quickly. James says, I'm an only child for my mom who had me when she was a teenager, not living with her biological parents at the time and under extreme pressure. When she got pregnant, she was told to abort me or get kicked out by the folks she was living with at the time who had power and voice in the country and decided to use that against her situation, even order that my dad get arrested. Mom overheard it and told him to run. He ran and kept running until war broke out, causing us to not see each other until I was an adult. All this happened only because one person decided you should kill your baby. Till this date, I'm the only child she has had the privilege to have. She always tells me the best decision she made was keeping her pregnancy and running away for her life for me. Uh, I'm sorry, and running away for her life and my life to somewhere safe when she was told to abort. It was her right to abort, and it was also my right to live, which she understood and has led to the biggest blessings in her life yet. 
What if she had listened to them? And church, would you just help me welcome? I'd like to honor, give honor where honor is due and let you see a walking miracle. I'd like you to give a big round of applause for my friend James. some lemon juice in it because not only, yeah, not only did James's mom not bow to a demonic government, demonic people that told her to abort her son, not only is he alive today, but now he is making Jesus's name famous all over Africa, all over. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> So let me just tell you a little bit about this walking miracle right here. He goes to Africa several times a year. He's working on a nonprofit for Christian youth evangelism and empowerment, helping to teach African children the word of God, helping them grow in their faith and mentoring them. He's from one of the most poorest and corrupt countries where kids make career choices based on economic status and not the calling and purpose that God has on their life. So he's helping them career plan and seek after God's calling for their lives. He's creating a space through his nonprofit where kids can come and be around like-minded Christians so they can fellowship and make wise career choices that will enable them to serve the kingdom of God and change their country and the world for Jesus. He's working on a space in Africa where high school students and middle school kids can come and learn about Jesus and the word of God so they can share it with their parents. A space to offer music lessons to the community and teach them to play various instruments in the church so they're able to serve their local church. He's also working on a worship ministry and a music studio. He dreams of one day building a Christian dormitory school and much, much more. And that right there, church, is called kicking the devil in the face. Right here. Nowhere in my Bible does it tell me I have to bow to a demonic government. Nowhere in my Bible does it tell me I ever have to bow to the agenda of the demonic. Satan can't shut down a move of God. He can't shut it down. The only thing he'll do is try to mock it. So he'll look at the sacrifice of Jesus and he'll say, okay, Jesus died on the cross. I couldn't shut him down, but let me mock it. Oh, I got it. I'll work through my people and I'll use child sacrifice through a abortion, but I'll mask it and I'll call it health care. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. The rainbow. All right. I couldn't shut down what God did for Noah and that was his promise. So what can I do? Got it. I'm going to take the rainbow and I'm going to use it to reject all of God's views on identity, but I'm going to call it love is love. See, he can't shut it down, but he's going to mock it. He's going to mock it and we can't be the people to buy into it. We can't buy into the lies. Nope. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. You were created in God's image. Man and woman. You were created in his image. And this attack on gender is an attack on the image of God. That's what this is. 
It's an attack on the image of God. And there's a lot of confusion in this world, but let me just clear things up. Gender is created by God and it reflects the image of God. Everything on this earth has a spiritual agenda. And so if what you're facing doesn't line up with God's agenda, whose agenda do you think it is? Everything is spiritual. We've got Christians being so culturally relevant that we're not being biblically accurate. It doesn't matter what culture says. It matters what this says. I can't get it right here. This is what matters. Because the gospel wasn't meant to stay in these four walls. My daughter, London, she loves history. If you get to know London, she's a crack up. She loves to read. Isaiah and I hate to read. She loves history. We hate history. It's great, great conversation in our house. She loves history. She specifically loves presidents. If you have any info for me about things I can do with her, with presidents, please tell me because we don't know what else to do. We've heard about presidents 700,000 times. She loves presidents. So I took her to, the last time I voted, I took her to the polls with me. And she, like you would have thought I took this child to Disney World. She walked in and she's like, I'm gonna go in the, in the polls with you. I'm like, yeah. So she's standing there with me behind a little box and she's like, oh my word, it's just like it is in the books. It's just like it is in the movies. I can't believe I'm at the polls. She's like, this is, she's like, can I fill that? I'm like, no. She's like, okay, okay, I won't touch it. I'm like, no, you can't fill it out. My mommy has to fill it out. So we go, she, the guy lets her put the little thing through the thing. I don't know, the thing that counts the thing, the vote counter. And she put it in and she's just like almost hyperventilating. Like we almost need intervention at this point. Then the man hands her the sticker. He hands her the sticker, the I voted sticker, and she just could have been on the floor. The sticker, is it not, is on her dresser, meticulously placed right in front of her little missions thing she's got going on her dresser, this this child. And she walked out of the polls with me that day and she said, Mom, I think I'm gonna run one day. She said, I think I'm gonna run for Congress one day. And I said, baby girl, you go. You run for Congress, you bring Jesus to this world. Because like I said, it wasn't, the, the gospel's not meant to stay in these four walls. We've gotta get out there. Out there is where they need us, not just in here. It's easy to be bold. It's easy to be bold in front of a room of people who are agreeing with you and standing with you. But are you just as bold out there? Out there is where we're needed. We need bold people full of God's truth in the White House, in Congress, in your jobs, in your schools. So it goes surrender, fight, win. That is how we walk in victory. We need people who aren't afraid. We need people to face the giants head on, to walk in victory, power, and authority, and say enough is enough to the enemy who says, I'll do it, send me. I'm not like we sang today, I'm not my own anyway. Everything I am, everything I have is yours. In Romans, it tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? And worship team, would you please come? There's an unseen battle going on, but you were created for a life of surrender, fight, and victory. The question is, is does he have all of you? Have you surrendered at all? Your spouse, 
your kids, your money, your talents, your titles and status, your mind, your health, your desires, your plans, your hurt, your pain, your shame, the lies the enemy has used to keep you captive and that guilt that's kept you bound. Are you living a victorious life through Jesus? Because it all starts with surrendering to him. And how do I do this? You do it by giving your life to him, by laying it all down, by giving him your heart, inviting him to take over your life. John 14, six says, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's him. It's always been him. It's through him. When you surrender and fight, it is through him that you will see victory every single time. See, you die to yourself and then you live for him. And that's why we baptize. It's a symbolism of death going under the water to life, coming out of the water, death to life. Back in March, I was woken up two times in one week. The Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and he had me write down what he was speaking to me. And I wrote it down and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And he said, just just stay quiet. Don't share with anybody. And so I didn't. And as I was preparing for this message, the Lord reminded me of what he had told me back in March. And he said, I want you to release it to my people. This is a word that I have for my people. And so I'd like to read that over you today. So if you would just please stand all over this room. If you would just raise your hands towards heaven and receive what he has for you today. These are his words, not mine. So if this is, if you feel in your spirit, this is for you, I want you to receive it and I want you to hold it as your promise from God. Two words, number one, take the limits off in the natural. I am the limitless God. Diagnoses of the body and the mind, your children, what it looks like, what it sounds like, take the limits off. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's mighty, he's vast, he is God and he is faithful. He's just, take the limits off. And number two, he says it's birthing season. It's birthing season. There will be new life. He's breathing life into wombs right now. New visions and dreams will be birthed. He is breathing life into the dead places in you. He's resurrecting minds. He's calling dry bones to come live and awakening a new generation of young and old to stand up as mighty army in these last days to stand in boldness. That church is what he has for you. That is the God you serve. And so I'd like to give you an invitation this morning to accept Jesus into your heart today. I'd like to give you that opportunity. Romans 10, nine says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you love truth, you'll love Jesus. If you love truth, it'll bring you back to the feet of Jesus every single time. And so I'd like to give an opportunity for anyone that wants to surrender your life to Jesus. You've never done this before. 
You've never heard maybe the strategy of surrendering my life so then I can fight and win. You've never asked Jesus into your heart and you've never clearly made Him the Lord of your life. If that's you today, I'd ask me that you, I'd ask that you would just come join me down here. I'm here with you. If that's you, I just wanna open up that opportunity for anyone, for anyone that says, that's me. I I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna live in victory. I want Him to fight with me. If that's you, would you come? I don't wanna miss anyone. So I'm just gonna wait just a few moments. If that's you, would you come? If you say, yep, I wanna surrender. I wanna give Him my everything today. Anybody in this room, I don't wanna miss anybody. Okay. Second thing I'd like to do is I'd like to give an opportunity to those who've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life already, but maybe you haven't surrendered at all to Him. Maybe there's a piece of you that you're holding back. There's a piece of you that's just like, oh, I just don't know, I just don't know. And so if that's you and you wanna surrender every part to Jesus, and this can be for anything. It can be for your disappointment. It can be for your marriage. You could be surrendering your children, your health, your money, your pride, your addictions, your mind, your hurt, any of it. If that's you today and you say, yeah, there's some areas in my life that I wanna, I wanna make a declaration and I wanna fully surrender to God right now, I just invite you to come. I just invite you to come. These altars are open. These altars are a, there's no judgment here. There's no judgment here. This is freedom. This symbol, these altars, they symbolize freedom. And that's exactly what you'll find when you come and you surrender it all to Him. You'll find freedom. You say, God, I wanna surrender it all. I wanna surrender it all, every part. Every part, Father. Every part. Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. If you want more resources for your walk with the Lord, you can visit us online at www.thepowerplace.org. You can check us out on YouTube and Facebook at The PowerPlace Church if you want to watch the service online. And if you want to give, you can text any amount to 84321 or visit the church website.